Thank you for joining us for the latest Grazia Life Advice podcast. I'm Lottie Jeffs and it's so good to be with you. I'm standing in for Rhiannon while she is away on parental leave. Good luck, Rhiannon. And I have to say, I'm so excited to meet all of the fantastic guests that we've got lined up for this show. I think we should probably dive straight into it. Our woman worth listening to this time is one of the UK's best-selling authors. I'm Mallory Blackman and I'm on the Grazia Life Advice podcast. Mallory Blackman, OBE, is perhaps best known for her young adult fiction series Noughts and Crosses, which was turned into a BBC drama starring Stormzy last year. The sixth and final instalment, Endgame, is out now. I kind of knew my characters and I knew the story I wanted to tell, but I do think that if I had written it before lockdown, the book might have been very different. Mm. Coming up, Mallory shares her advice for aspiring writers, including what didn't work for her. I got up at four o'clock in the morning and, and, and sat at my computer, you know, and it was dark outside and very quiet. And I sat there for like five minutes and I thought, oh, hell no, I'm not back to bed. <laughs> and a bit later, we hear about how she keeps motivated and writing despite knockbacks. There are days when you think, why am I doing this? Who's going to want to read this? But you keep going and you keep going. And so my, my advice is just, you know, if you've got a story you want to tell, just keep going. It was such a pleasure to speak to Mallory. I'm a big fan of her work and have been since I was a child. So let's get into the chat. Thank you so much for joining us. You're here to give us your words of wisdom. So your new book, We're Going to Find the Monster, is out now. Would you like to just give us a little uh, intro to the book and, and who it's for and what it's about? Well, it's about a girl called Charlotte, who is called Charlie for short, and her brother. It's a celebration of imagination and family. And it's basically them going through the house and using their imaginations to imagine, for example, they have to wade across an ocean, which is them passing the fish tank, you know, and then it's sort of, um, oh, there's a, there's a great big wolf and what can we do to soothe him? And it's their dog, it's their pet dog and so on. So it's kind of Adapo Adiola, who did the illustrations, has done such a fantastic job because he's taken my text, he's gone to town with it and he's created something I think that's phenomenal. It is, yeah, I actually... I, I just read the book this morning to my daughter over breakfast oh, and okay. she's three and she absolutely loved it. It made me read it to her again and again. We read it three times over <laughs> breakfast. Um, oh, that's good. And it actually um, generated some really interesting conversations between us because the main character, Charlie, has vitiligo, doesn't she? That's right, yes. Yeah, yes. so, I mean, not something we see often in, in picture books. Um, I mean, it's rare enough really to see black families in picture books let alone a black child who has um, vitiligo. So was that yeah. something that was important to you and how did that come about? Well, I'd love to take credit for that, but it was actually Dapo's idea. I would love, love, love to take credit for that. But, you know, he said, you know, how do you feel about me presenting Charlie as having vitiligo? And I thought, what a wonderful idea. I, and, it's, and the story isn't about her having vitiligo. It's never mentioned. But you can absolutely see from the illustrations. And as a, a black girl or any, any black person, the, the, if it's on your face, if you suffer from it on your face, it tends to be around your eyes, around your lips, the tips of your ears and so on. So he and I both did research into that and he made sure he was spot on as far as the illustrations were concerned and where she, her vitiligo was showing itself and manifesting itself. 
So it was. I think it's really important. I mean, you, as you said, there's there are so few picture books that feature black families. More coming through, but still, mm. you know, no, not enough. And I think it's just about representation basically it's about making sure that all children can see themselves in the books they're reading and I think it's not just so that books are mirrors books should be windows and doors into other worlds and other people's way how other people live but they absolutely should be mirrors as well and I think not just not just for people who have vitiligo but also to show people who don't you know, someone other than themselves. And I mm. think that's incredibly important. Yeah. And isn't I, that why we read in the first place? Why we want to read and uh, to kind of improve our empathy for others? Yeah, in, absolutely. You know, and gender and, imp- empathy for others. And so amazing to be getting those messages out to really young readers. You know, I think you're pi- it's a picture book, so it's aimed at, what, like two and a half to five or something? Well, I, um, I started reading to my daughter when she was three weeks old when she came out of special care baby unit so so I think it's from that age uh, and it's for anybody who can enjoy it it is maybe that younger audience but I think it's for anyone who just would enjoy a good story yeah and does it feel like a really different skill writing a picture book to writing your young adult fiction oh gosh yes yes Mm. I mean in a picture book every single word has to count from that point of view, I think people underestimate just what a craft it is to to write a picture book. And so when I was Children's Laureate, it was very much, you know, the task I gave myself to try and instill that love of reading in teenagers who might have become disaffected with it or who've kind of thought reading was boring or didn't like reading. Because I always maintain if you don't like reading, you haven't found the right book for you yet. So, you know, so let's talk about what you're into and let me recommend some books and so on. Mallory, let's get on to your advice. Your first piece of advice, which is really about process, and it's to try and write every day, which I think is brilliant advice. But then you also qualify that by saying, don't beat yourself up if that doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, um, it's good to try and get into that habit of writing every day, even if it's just a paragraph. And some days it will be flowing and some days it won't. And some days you won't be feeling it. So, yeah, so d- just don't feel guilty if you're just not feeling it or it's not coming. But just try and write every day. But don't, as I said, beat yourself up if it doesn't happen. Even if the writing is not as good or as sharp as you want it to be, at least you can go back and change it. But you can't change something you haven't written. Mm. So I would. So I do try and kind of write most days. But I feel it's incredibly important to pace yourself and also... You know, give yourself a break so you can recharge your mental batteries. Mm. And I suffered from writer's block a while ago. And I really do believe that part of the reason I suffered from writer's block was because I went straight from book to book to book to book without a break. So I burnt out. Right. And it's it, and it was really frightening because it's one of those things I was sitting, sitting at my computer and thinking, oh, my God, you know, nothing was coming. I was I trying to write and it was it was rubbish and it was it, it wasn't even that I just couldn't write I couldn't think of what to what to type and wow. what the characters were saying or whatever really really frightening I thought is this the end of my career and in the end the way I tried to get round it was I turned off my PC 
and I de I decided to d surround myself with other creative activities. So I went to art galleries and I went to museums and I went to see more films and I started my piano lessons again and you know, got to my grade two and then you know, got busy again. But, but you know, but it's just it's surrounding myself with all kinds of creative endeavours um, and creative activities and drinking in other people's creativity. And that lasted like, you know, three months or so until I was burning to write my own story. But, mm. but it is scary. And I think, you know, we're... we're, we're None of us invincible and I had to realise I'm not superwoman and I needed breaks and I needed to just, you know, be kind to myself. For sure, yeah. And how did you find your creativity over lockdowns? Were you filling the space on the time with writing or did you find a sort of inertia um, crushed crushed you in the way that it did many of us? <laughs> um it could have done. I think the inertia could have done because it was a, it's a, it was a scary time. It was worrying about my loved ones, you know, worrying about, you know, what was going to happen. And I think, you know, thankfully, I did have my book to write. And my process is not to go out to work. I come up to my attic to work. So it wasn't that much of a, a, a change professionally for me. So actually, I then focused my attention on writing my book and getting through that. But that said, and that was Endgame, which comes out, in fact, next week. And it was the last one of the Noughts and Crosses series. And so I kind of knew my characters and I knew the story I wanted to tell. But I do think that if I had written it before lockdown, the book might have been very different. Mm. Do you think we're going to get like a slew of pandemic literature now like loads of books children's books all genres getting in there or do you think it's like too soon I think we probably will but I I think there might be a slew of them and then that spate will be over because I think people will want to read about other things we've all lived through it and I think books are a really good way fiction is a really good way of letting you know that you're not alone but at the same time we also need entertaining books and fun books and books that are life affirming and joyous and celebratory as well as books that are kind of are dealing with those particular issues there's yeah. room for all of those mm. fantastic so Mallory thank you what is your second piece of advice for us today well, my second piece of advice is don't wait for inspiration to strike before sitting down to write because inspiration should find you at your desk already working what if you're at your desk, but you're online shopping? <laughs> Can it still find you? <laughs> well, you know, you could be online shopping and spot a product that you've never seen before or you've never considered before and it might spark something. You never know where ideas are going to come from. But that said... I would kind of keep my word processing software open or, you know, my note software open to make some notes at the same time. I think there's so many ways to procrastinate when you want to write and so forth. So many ways, and there's so many other things you could be doing. But mm. if you want to get your book out or you want to get your book finished, you have to sit down and, you know, bum to chair and fingers to keyboard and yeah, get on with definitely. it, basically. Do you think that it's also possible, though, like, say somebody listening to this is working full time maybe they're a parent maybe they're a carer or they're working two jobs and they just don't have the time to carve out to sit at a desk is there mm. do you think it's possible to write a book kind of or write something like on the fly 
I think I think there are ways to do it. It depend. I mean, if you really, really want to write, I mean, I was in that situation when I started because I used to be a computer programmer, and so I'd come home from work and it would be um, dinner and then straight on my PC to start writing, uh, writing till like one o'clock in the morning and then back to work the next day. And I mean, if you've got children, it's even more tricky, and it's about carving out those moments for yourself. And maybe, you know, it it comes down to perhaps getting up half an hour or an hour earlier uh, in the morning to get some writing done. Uh, when I used to do a number of writing classes when I first started because I had no clue about writing or publishing. So I joined a number of ways into writing classes and so on. And one of the pieces of advice was try getting up an hour earlier than you usually do or even getting up sort of like three, four in the morning. Because in that very quiet time, it allows you to focus, really focus on your writing. I did that once. I got up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, st- and, and sat at my computer, you know, and it was dark outside and very quiet. And I sat there for like five minutes and I thought, oh, hell no. I went back to bed. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad that's how that story ended. But... I was just about to be like, how do you do that? No, that, that, I mean, I'm a morning person, but that uh, no, no. But if that's the only way you can carve out t- your own time to write, maybe that's what you have to do. You have to do what you have to do. Mm, absolutely. And your third piece of advice is to be yourself and to not be afraid to write on issues that you care about. Mm. Can you think of a time that that really resonated for you, that you realised that you needed to be yourself, perhaps you hadn't been previously, or where that piece of advice has really come from for you? What kind of drew it home to me was when I wanted, I wanted to be an English teacher from the time I was seven, eight. I loved reading so much. I just thought it'd be amazing to be a teacher and just instill that love of reading and stories into children when I grew up. And, and that's what I wanted to do. And then my, I, said, I went to my careers teacher and said, I want to be an English teacher. And, you know, because she was the one who was writing the university references. And, um, and, she, and she looked at me and said, well, you know, black people don't become teachers. She said, why don't you be a secretary instead? And then she said, and she saw my face and then she said, and besides, I don't think you'll get your English A-level. And basically she refused to give me a, a reference to go to university to study English and drama, which is what I wanted to do. If I had argued with her, it would have made it would have made no difference because she was the one who wrote the references. And then I applied to Goldsmiths off my own bat and I got in because by that time I had my A-level results. And I wasted years resenting that teacher. And then, but you know what? She did me a favour because she taught me if I want something, to, you know, to, to be true to myself and go for it. It taught me that if you come across such people, you don't waste your time arguing with them. You certainly don't let them stop you. You just find a way to go around them. And so when I was decided I wanted to be a writer and I was getting all those rejection letters, uh, I mean, it was eight or nine books and 82 rejection letters later before I had my first book published. You know, it was thanks to my careers teacher that I kept going because, again, I thought, if they don't want this book, then maybe if this editor doesn't want this book, then maybe that one will. And so it was about kind of just it took me a while, but it was about kind of just almost like saying, you know what? Don't be afraid of your uh, of your own voice, your own style and your own voice. And not just in writing, but in, in, in life in general. Just be yourself. 
Mallory, thank you. We're going to be right back after this short break. And we're back with Mallory Blackman, whose fourth piece of advice for us is don't try to follow market trends. Mallory, I presume you're talking about writing here and not um, Deptford Market, where I live. But um, (laughs) (laughs) can you tell us a bit about what you mean by that? A while ago, for example, for children, there were horror stories were doing incredibly well. And we had goosebumps and we had point horror stories and so forth. And then we had a spate of horror horror stories on the market because people were looking at the market and thinking, oh, horror stories are doing well. Let me write one of those. And I would say if you are not feeling it, if you don't, if you're not into horror, then don't force it. Um, You know, and besides which. If you're writing yet another book in a sort of a whole load of a glut of books about the same thing, it's going to be harder to stand out. So I would say kind of if you if you like horror stories and horror stories are in, then all power to your elbow. But if it's not something that you're into, then write what you care about. Right. Yeah. You know, and don't and don't think, you know, it's, it's sort of like when Harry Potter first came out and then we had an, an, a number of fantasy stories and wizards and stories about wizards and witches, etc. Again, if you're not feeling it, then then you don't feel you have to write that to get published. That's not true. Mm. And in fact, by the time books come out, remember, it could be 18 months, two years down the line, by which time the market has moved on and editors are looking for something different. Yeah. So I would say, you know, don't follow that. And, and it, I think it is this thing of dancing to the beat of your own drum and not being afraid of that. Yeah. And write what you care about and what you're into. Yeah. And that brings us nicely onto your fifth piece of advice, which is... If there is a book out there that you want to read and you can't find it, you must write it yourself. And this is a piece of advice that I that Toni Morrison gave a, a while ago. I mean, and and I absolutely first time I read that, I thought oh, that is so true. And that's part and parcel of the reason I started writing in the first place, because there were books out there that I wanted to read. There were books out there I wanted to see for the child in me that just were not available and. I'm the sort of person who I might have a, a slight whinge about it and then I think, okay, what can I do about mm. this? And then for and then it's kind of, okay, well, I'm going to see if I can do something about this. And, and that's what I, I try to do. Um, and so I think, you know, if, you, if there are books out there and, you know, that don't reflect your background, if you're kind of working class or if you have mental challenges or if you have physical challenges or whatever and you want to see more books out there that feature characters mm. who reflect your own reality and you can't find them, write them yourself Mm. absolutely yeah something I was talking to um, a friend about recently was this idea that because I'm gay and my friend was gay and we were like oh there already is a gay book about this or a book about a gay character or a film about a gay character and you feel like oh that already exists therefore I can't add anything to that conversation or there's no point me doing it if it already exists and I wonder if that's a sort of minority mentality of like there's so many books about parenting, for example, so many, so many podcasts about mothering. You know, you don't get people thinking, oh, there's already a podcast about being a mum. I'm not going to do another one. And I wonder if like, if if you can relate to that as a kind of something that comes from being in a minority that you maybe don't put oh, yourself out there as much. Absolutely. I think it is this thing. I mean... I've never, I must admit, I've never felt this, but I I have a friend of mine um, who told me that she sent her book in and it was rejected because they said, oh, we already have a book by Mallory Blackman. And I was appalled. And, you know, my friend wouldn't 
tell me which editor this was or which publishing house. And I, this was around the time I had like six or seven different publishers I was working for. And she would not tell me. And it was, it's this mentality of, oh, you know, if you're in a minority and you've got the one, the one somehow has to cater for everybody. Absolutely. The one is telling ev is everybody's experience, which is so much nonsense. Mm. And as you said, you know, there's so many different books on parenting and books on falling in love and so forth. But how come if you're in a minority, one book will do? Tick you know, the it's box. Not, it's not yeah. every book. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I so there's as many experiences as there are people to tell tell about them. And there's as many stories as there are people. I, I mean, I had this again said to me by editors at the start of my career where I'd say they'd take one book from me and I'd say okay I've written another one would you like to see that and they'd say oh no no we only wanted one for our multicultural list oh, no. and that was so and then disappointing they, that, <laughs> well exactly and I must admit that was a publisher I never worked for again because I thought I'm not interested in being your sort of your tick box exercise um, I want to write for editors who like my stories mm -hmm. Not because they want a story that features a black family and then they can say, oh, that's it for two years. We've done what we, yeah. you know, we've ticked that box. So I absolutely hear you on that front. I mean, it does seem to me, just from my own observations, that after Black Lives Matter, well, not after it, ongoing, but um, the publishing industry has um, published a lot more books about the black experience. And I've seen, you know, loads of great books coming out this year, particularly by young black women authors. Do you think that that's in the context of what we were just talking about, is that publishing kind of panicking and thinking we need to commission and publish all of these books and it's going to kind of stop? Or do you think this is like here to stay now and people are realising that there are lots of different stories to tell? Well, you see, that's a very interesting question. I think for some publishers, they were talking about inclusion before George Floyd and, and so on. And I think... George Floyd maybe was the spur to kind of move faster. I think for some publishers, unfortunately, it was performative and they're kind of saying the right thing, but it's let's see if it's backed up by action because, you know, I have not seen action on some fronts uh, as far as, you know, the t talk is cheap. Let's see some action. And But there are a, there definitely are publishers out there who want to be more inclusive, who are not just seeking... Um, work from authors of colour and, and from more diverse from more diverse authors, but are also looking to change the the look of their the companies internally. And it starts from the board, you know, you need we need more diversity on company boards. Um, we need more diversity from the top down. We need more diversity in terms of editors and and marketing people and salespeople and so forth because they, ev everybody brings fresh perspectives and new things to the table. Otherwise, it, you know, it's going to get stag it's going to stagnate and get stale. And I think some publishers have actually woken up to that mm. fact, and unfortunately, some haven't. But I think you know it's the same across the board. I think it's um, across all organisations. There is a need to kind of be more diverse, but people tend to recruit in their own image. I'm hoping the momentum is as such that it won't just stop. But I've been in publishing for 30 years and around 15 years ago, there was momentum for kind of change. And then it kind of just tailed off and died a death. This, I must admit, feels different. Maybe there's more momentum to this. Maybe there is more of an internal will to change things. Uh, but we'll see. We'll mm. see. 
And your final piece of good advice for us, Mallory, is don't give up. And if you could just say that so I can record it and listen to it on loop and just play it every morning before I get out of bed, <laughs> that would be great. Well, well absolutely. My, my final piece of advice, but my I think the most important piece of advice is don't give up. Whatever it is you want to do, if you want to be a writer and people are saying no and you're getting knockbacks and you really want to do it, well, hone it, hone your craft, but do not give up. And I remember around my 70th rejection at the 60th, 70th, Alice Walker came to this country and she was doing a signing at the Silver Moon Bookshop in Charing Cross Road. And I used to live in that place. And, um, and, and I remember queuing up for two hours to get her to sign my book. And I finally got to the front of the queue and I said, please, could you sign my book? And could you put in it, um, don't give up? And she said, I can't write that. What does that mean? And I said, well, I want to be a writer and I keep getting all these rejection letters. And she just looked at me and she said, don't you dare give up. And she wrote it to Mallory, don't give up, Alice Walker. And I just thought, oh, you know, and I thought, well, That's I can't give up now. That's the secret of Alice your Walker success so. right there. That's it. <laughs> so, you know, so, so so everybody out there, in all walks of life, whatever you're trying to do, if you really want to do it, then do not give up. And that said, I mean, obviously, if you want to be a singer and you can't carry a tune in a bucket, it's not going to happen, you know. But that said, you know, if you're really into music, then maybe you could produce music or write songs for other people. So find a way to make yeah. it work. You have to kind of be realistic about these things. But if there's a sphere that you really want to enter and stuff and people are saying, no, do not give mm, up. Thank you. I need to hear that. I'm working on a novel myself at the moment and... It's oh, just excellent. so hard. Just how do you bash out? I mean, not that you bash them out, but like you've written so many books and I'm just there like literally struggling so much to write one book. And it just sometimes seems impossible and like you're never going to get but through you it. Just, you just keep going. Yeah. You just have to. I mean, there are days when I think, oh, my God, this is so much rubbish. And there are days when I thought, oh, I really like this, <laughs> you know. But through both of those, you keep going. Mm -hmm. And there are days when you think, why am I doing this? Who, who's going to want to read mm -hmm. this? But you keep going and you keep going. And so my, my advice is just, you know, if you've got a story you want to tell, mm. just keep yeah. going. Amazing. Thank you. I really need to hear that personally. I don't know about you listening, um, wherever you are. But um, we now have your piece of bad advice for you to share with us could you could you let us know what that is please well the advice you, you tend to get certainly as an author and certainly at the beginning of your career is write about what you know and while it's easier to write about things you know um as an author you're that's why we have imaginations <laughs> so I think you should write what you care about write about the things that bring you joy or bring you pain or the things that make you sorrowful or the things that you make you angry and if you don't know about something, then do your research and make sure you do your research and do full research. And don't assume the way you see the world is going to be the way everybody sees the world. Quite frankly, I think the, the work that seems to have done best for me has been the stuff I've taken risks on. The things where I had to do masses of research to kind of make sure I got my facts right. And the things where I wrote outside of my comfort zone. You know, your comfort zone Yes, it's comfortable, but it's also, if you live in there too long, it restricts your growth. And so I do feel, you know, when I first started writing, because I was a computer programmer, my first novel was hack, a book called Hacker. And then I wrote technological thriller. So it was Hacker and then Antidote and Dangerous Reality about virtual reality and so on. 
And then I started getting known as a technological writer. And then I thought, I hate being labelled. So I thought, OK, that's the end of that. And then I wrote Pickup Boy. And that's a book I did an awful lot of research for. But that's about a boy who has a heart from a genetically modified pig. And that was inspired by a newspaper article I read. And again, that was outside of my comfort zone. So I had to do a lot of research on that one. Reading a lot of books about xenotransplantation and transplantation and so on. And again, it's a, and I'm really glad I did because it was a, it was fun to write. It was a joy to write. It was something I was not overly familiar with. So it made it interesting to write. Writing about what you know, as I said, is a really good starting point. But don't feel that has to be the the be all and end all of everything you write. Mm amazing amazing advice and thank you so much for joining us i personally feel inspired and um reassured i guess you know it's it can be really hard trying to make it as a writer and write in different formats and just keep going and keep sitting at your computer and opening your word document seeing that terrifying flashing cursor you know um and so it's amazing to speak to you and hear you sort of say that it wasn't easy for you either and you you know you were resilient and you kept you kept trying and and it's paid off i need you to write the same thing in in my book that um alice walker wrote in yours so we can make that happen well, be, i look forward to reading your novel oh, when it comes yeah let's out. good luck let's with manifest it. it good luck with it <laughs> yeah absolutely wow it was so great to speak to mallory i can't believe how prolific she is and she's got two new books out at the moment one is we're going to find the monster a children's picture book And then for young adults, she's got Endgame, which is the final instalment of the Noughts and Crosses series. That's it from me. If you've enjoyed this episode, please recommend the podcast to friends. Word of mouth and recommendations really are the best way to help us reach new audiences. So have a great week. And until the next Grazia Life Advice podcast, goodbye.